Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Lights on Data show. I'm very excited to be talking about the Data Lake House today. Ooh, it's going to be interesting. Our guest today is Sanjeev. He mentions about himself that after 25 years of being infected by the data bug, it is showing no signs of abating. I love that. He is always evolving, always innovating, and is a chronic learner. Now, our today's guest has such vast experience that it was hard to compress everything in a brief bio. So, Sanjeev, can you share the highlights of your really inspiring career? Thank you so much, Diana. I really appreciate your kind words. I The highlight of my career, I mean, the last <clears throat> one year and four months that I've been independent, I had no idea what I was jumping into. And I thought, let's just give it a shot. It's like life is too short. And I've never been an entrepreneur on my own. So I left a great job I had at Gartner and I went independent. So prior to that, I was in Gartner doing data and analytics, research. So what I do today, same, it's, it's research, but it's more like advisory, not consulting. And so now I get to look into things like lake houses, data observability, even non-technical things like how to help companies messaging and positioning of their stuff. I also have a podcast as a hobby, but it's only on YouTube. It's not as polished as what you do. So I just get to experiment and just try new things. So what are your, your areas of expertise? Yeah, great question. I started in databases. So <laughs> I, the first job I had out of college, the first main job was at Oracle. So I got into databases in the 90s. Wow. And then, so at that time, it was all relational databases. So I did that till a point where databases kind of were not innovating and the focus shifted to applications like ERP and it was not fun. But then in around 2006 or so, Hadoop took off, cloud computing took off, no SQL databases started. So that was a pivotal year. And all of a sudden data was exciting again. That's when I decided, you know what? It's time to get back into just doing data management. So I did that for many years. Then a sudden shocking call came about six, seven years ago. I get on a Gartner client inquiry and the call and the guy says, how do I prepare for GDPR? And I'm like, GD what? <laughs> what was such a thing? And so then I quickly realized that, oh, there is a new regulation coming out. But until that point, data governance was a no-go for me. I didn't want to touch it. Sarbanes-Oxley, I missed that whole boat. And then I realized that, wow, data governance is actually not something to be scared of. It is actually an opportunity to protect my data so it can be used more. It's like putting on a seatbelt in a car is not to slow me down, it's so I can go faster and still be. So that's, those are my two big areas, database management systems and data governance. And when I say data governance, it's massive. I even include, it's not just catalog, lineage, all that, a little bit of master data management, but data quality is huge these days. I already mentioned observability is very big semantic layers have come in, ops has come in. So all of that operational management pieces and then the storage component, those are the two places I spent. 
So where do I not spend a lot of time is on the analytics, like BI and AI, although you cannot avoid it, but that's not my expertise. Yeah. Love it. You're laying out the ground rules for all of these BI data analytics, AI. That's great. Before we go into the data lake houses, can you please tell us which countries you're going to visit next? So I read on your profile that you visited 115 countries, yes. which is impressive. And I'm curious which ones are next on the list. So first of all, I have to tell the viewers that this is all, <laughs> it's not planned. I had no idea that you'd done your homework so much. And so uh, travel was my biggest hobby. And before my two kids went to college, they both, I'd taken them to over hundred countries. So that was something that I enjoy doing a lot. Although I haven't done a lot of it lately. I did the last country that I went to were Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia. Mm. The one that I'm going to next is not a new country. I'd like to add new countries, but I'm going to India. <laughs> I had a trip planned. And then I thought if I'm going to go to India, why not just turn it into a fun trip, not just family and all, but business wise. So I ended up doing, coming up with a meetup idea. Google was kind enough to give us a space and sponsor. Ravid Jain of the Ravid Show is going to be on it. There's a company called Telmine, Data Usability. They're going to be on it. And we are very excited to do this, this meetup. Google actually came back and said, let's do a second one. Uh, we're doing one in Bangalore and let's do one in Delhi. But these efforts take a lot of time to prepare and coordinate. Absolutely. But it's a great, it's a great initiative. Something to look forward to for sure. Thank you. Sanjeev, I like that your experience overlaps with some of my passions as well, which lies in data governance. So I think we have a lot to talk about, but our topic today is also the data lake house. We're trying to understand then what does the data lake house mean? It's a new thing that sort of appeared in the, in the past few years. And before you heard a lot about the data warehouse, you heard a lot about the data lake, and now we have this new data lake house. Yes. So we started with data warehouses at the beginning of 2000s, Teradata, Oracle, SQL Server, IBM's DB2, they, they all had, not Teradata, but other ones had operation databases, and then you could create a data warehouse. And then Teradata, Netiza, Greenplum were all in the data warehouse. So there was a separation of transactional and analytical. Because running analytics on transactional databases can slow things down. So we had this very clean separation, but the problem is that to build these data warehouses, you have to do pretty heavy duty ETL and then the data models should be well-defined. So while the idea is great, it requires a lot of work. But then by that time we talked how cloud came into this picture. And then cloud separated compute and storage. So Snowflake did an amazing job and Snowflake came in and said, we have reimagined the data warehouse in the cloud. So you can independently scale your compute and your storage. There's no tight coupling. Mm -hmm. And that led to a, a massive following of cloud data warehouses. But a lot of this data first comes into an object store. So, and then it gets converted into a fixed compute engine, 
from let's say Snowflake or BigQuery or Redshift or Oracle's autonomous data warehouse and so on, object stores is give us the data lake concept. So object store said, bring the data in to an object store. You can run, you can do any use case on it. In data warehouse, you're limited to whatever, how you've designed it and whatever, you know, you want to do, you, you gotta know about it. In an object store, the data is in raw files. So I can do data science use cases on it. I can do streaming analytics. I can do my operational normal analytics and so on. The problem is I have literally just dumped the data into the lake. I don't have the semantics on top of it. So lake house is main purpose of lake house is to add that semantic layer especially a semantic layer we are familiar with, which is relational. So although all my data is coming into CSV, JSON, Parquet, ORC, Avro, and all kinds of file formats, if I can abstract that into a table format, then I can run my SQL queries. I can run any compute engine on top. So now we are disaggregating the compute engine from the storage, and I can, I'm saying that why am I limited to a single storage engine? Maybe George, you like to use Spark and that's what you, you want to use. And I know uh, you like to use Presto, Athena, Trino. And I like to use, maybe I'm old fashioned I, and I'm still using Apache Impala, but then somebody can use BigQuery. So this is the, by having a lake house, I cannot decouple, I can have any compute engine point to this relational semantic layer and and that then then maps into the parquet files with that now the other biggest thing is i now have transactional abilities what i could not do earlier on parquet files easily i cannot do like inserts and updates so so i have data coming in from operation systems into my into my object store data lake through these lake house file formats, I can now start seeing incremental changes. I can rename columns. I can update columns. I, I can change my schema and, and I don't have to go through a very slow manual batch process. And do you need to worry about the ETL part as much or Actually, everything would happen after you're loading the data into the data lake house? And right. then depending on the use. Yeah. So I may do ETL or ELT if I want to create a data warehouse on top of that. So the idea is that I don't have to, if I don't want to, but I know some companies that, that still will do extract load and transform. So they extract from operational load it into, into a data and then they can do transformation in the data lake, or they can do it in a cloud data warehouse. Thank you. And what do you find that companies are switching to the data lake house or is it they're still going to the data warehouse versus yeah. data lake solution? Right. Or do you see a benefit of just starting with the data lake house from the beginning because that offers so much more flux flexibility? You know, this, it's a million dollar question. I'll give you my personal example, personal experience from this summer. In June, we had two mega conferences, Snowflake and Databricks. First came Snowflake. I went to Snowflake conference. I even wrote a LinkedIn blog on the list of things that they had announced. I had like 15 things on it. 
And I was literally blown away. And I was like, there is no way that data breaks, sorry, data breaks if you're listening to it, but there's good news. So just hold on. So I was like, there is no way anyone can beat what I saw out of Snowflake. They had announced support for iceberg, for transactional data, for supporting machine learning amongst a dozen other things. Then I went to the data breaks and I was once again speechless <laughs> with what they announced. And so now I'm in a quandary and I, at one of these many evening parties we used to have, I would ask people at a table, what do you think is a winning formula, Snowflake or data breaks? And the table was split almost 50-50. So I would not say that one has a better technique than the other. They both have their pros and cons. Snowflake gives you a curated, governed environment because it's a closed environment. It's in case of object store, lake house based, you get more flexibility and open, but then there are things that, that you have to be responsible for. So it's a trade-off. And do you have your own preference? <laughs> I, okay. So now you're putting me in a position where I'm <laughs> actually make some energy. But I have to say, oh, we don't need to answer that. No, I, I, okay. <laughs> now that you've asked me, I like the lake house concept. I think yeah. with lake house, I have more freedom and control over how I want to proceed. Have you encountered any good examples of good use of the data lake house? So I know even companies like Walmart, very big users of the lake house concept and Netflix is another one. Mm. Uh, a lot of operations we do on our TV, a lot of that information is actually coming out of Netflix Lake House. And, and so I, I want to talk about what these three companies have done. So you've got the object store with parquet files, but that transactional layer, which is relational semantics on top comes from three different companies. Netflix engineers created Iceberg as a table format. So that is very popular. In fact, now we see Snowflake, I mentioned announced support. BigQuery has announced support. Redshift also has announced support, although Redshift was originally also supporting the second format that I'll talk about. Cloudera has also announced uh, support for that. So that is what Netflix did to make it easy to use the data lake and that was Uber had a different problem. And, and their problem was that in, when you do a write share, the location is constantly being updated, write requests are coming in, drivers are becoming available or not. So the data changes very rapidly. That data, when it would go into, into the data lake, it was very hard to update Parquet file because a lot of data lake is append only. So it was very hard to do that. And they created Hoodie. And their purpose was, they were not looking to create a table format per se. They were looking to handle incremental updates very fast. From that evolved their table format. Delta Lake, by the way, has also been very popular, not just because Databricks users use it, but in Azure, Databricks also, they, they've been looking at Delta for quite some time. So that's where Delta came out and Databricks first announced and said, here is our Delta Lake and there are these features that are free, but then there's a whole load of enhancements like indexing, compaction, 
for which you have to pay. Here in June, they said all of Delta Lake is now open source. And so now you got Iceberg, Hoodie, Delta Lake, you got three formats, and you've got a very large following of people who are using these. Thank you, Sanjeev. You were mentioning earlier your, uh, the first time you've encountered GDPR and your experience on data governance. I think I was reading actually at Gartner, they had this uh, prediction that by the end of this year, early next year, more than 60% of the world's population will be really under similar governance to GDPR yeah. around the world as more and more countries are adopting GDPR measures. And obviously data governance is becoming more and more into focus for a lot of companies worldwide. Do you find that with the data lake house, it enables data governance more, or it actually poses a challenge? So a great question, by the way, I was curious about this topic myself, and I went to Dremio's website. Dremio is actually quite advanced in the Apache iceberg space because a lot of, a lot of these developers uh, have had association with Dremio. And I was surprised there is a blog there on how to do right to be forgotten on iceberg. So I know this problem is being addressed, but when I went to the blog, what did I find? A lot of SQL statements. <laughs> And therein lies the trade-off. It has to evolve beyond SQL statements. It has to become more automated, more self-service, user-friendly. So I think doing GDP, so that's a great question you asked. And I think this is a difference between a cloud data warehouse and a lake house. Lake house, you still need to have some good skills to be able to do these kind of things like oh thank you and we have a question here from our audience they're wondering in a data lake with a data warehouse a setup where should data governance tools be placed in front of the data lake or data warehouse so i think it's both it's not a choice it you see this is the thing with cloud data warehouses is that they can get expensive you don't necessarily want to put every bit of data into a cloud data warehouse, in my opinion. IoT generates tremendous amount of data. So at some, and although you know, petabyte scale data warehouses are already happening, and I know some clients, one of them has satellite data that comes in and they've even monetized it and they're making money actually through the data products. But in my opinion, some data is going to be, may remain in a data lake. So now you do need to govern that. So your catalog, your data governance tool should actually have connectors for both the data lake and the cloud data warehouse. You should have a semantic layer that says, you know what, in Parquet file, this columnar data and this tables field or column mean customer name. So that is very powerful where I, as an end user, business user, I don't care is my data in a lake or in a data warehouse, I don't care. I'm a business user. I've been tasked to run a query and count the number of customers. The customers, some may be in a data lake, some may be in a data warehouse. So I'm gonna write a query uh, using what I discover in the catalog, which then maps to the locations. Perfect. Thank you very much. 
Sanjeev, how can people reach you? They can follow you on LinkedIn. That's probably one one option. But then you mentioned YouTube. I know that you write articles as well. So where can they find you? I have to say one word. It's a mess. I <laughs> I, I need to do a better job on my website, which has fallen behind. So uh, sanchmo.medium.com is my medium site. If listeners, please to my YouTube channel, if you can, it's called It Depends. So if you search for It Depends Sanchmo, then you can see it. I've, by the way, never, ever asked anyone to subscribe. So this is the first time. We're uh, happy that it happened at yeah. the podcast. I also have a Forbes site. So that's why I say it's a mess because I've got LinkedIn, YouTube, Forbes, Medium. Then I do a lot of blogs for my customers. So those are just distributed. But it's great. The world needs more Sanjeev across all mediums. What type of content should people expect from you? So if it is, if it touches data and analytics, then I'm, I'm really into it. My lately, a lot of my focus has been on trying to unravel or demystify some of these new concepts and try to explain to people, what does it mean? One area that I've really been uh, deeply looking into is on data security, because I really feel that security has not been given enough attention by the data people. It's been segregated into the infosec space. So how do you, by the way, this goes to GDPR, this goes to data residency. If let's say you both have access to certain data in your hometown and you decide to take your lights on data show on the road and relocate to Germany for the next six months, uh, you, because of data residency laws, you may or may not be able to see certain data. How do you dynamically get access so behind the scenes, I am doing row level security. I'm doing column level security. I'm doing encryption. So all of that needs is a very exciting space. I call it data access governance. Uh, it goes by different terms, but data access control uh, is, is a very uh, important topic. Very. Thank you very much for You're everything. Welcome and for sharing these insights. And uh, we hope to have you again soon at the podcast. We wish you a great, great time in, in India and great luck with the initiative that, that you're having there. And thanks everyone for participating as well. Have a great Thank day. Everyone. Thanks, thanks for joining. Everyone. See you. Bye. Bye.